Some think he was there for only three weeks. Some may three significant Sabbaths, but a short time, a little uprising came up, and then he went down to Berea and then to Athens. But here in this, this, in this Thessalonica was on the, on the west coast of Greece, and uh, it mentions Macedonia and Achaia and Thessalonica. It's like the lower portion of Greece, which is the lower portion of Europe in your head. If you can imagine Europe, here's Turkey, then there's Europe, then there's Italy. Uh, Thessalonica is on the other side of Greece, on the other side of Italy. So he's on the coast, but in this coast, he starts up a little church. And in this church, the believers, he's only there for three weeks. And he makes such an impact on that church. That with that impact, the Holy Spirit encourages them, it directs them to write a letter to this church. And these Thessalonians, even first and second Thessalonians, is not one of the like the major pillars of what we know in the scriptures. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Revelation. But Thessalonians isn't one of the major ones. But God wants us to note that in this city, in this small church, there's something very, very, very special about this church. This small little church. And then God decides to blow up to our attention the specialness of the church, and it was their faith. And God loves, God, our God loves our faith in him. Even if it's small as mustard seed, even the fact that if you just accepted Jesus as your savior, you win. He loves our faith in him. And then he even credits for the rest of of church history and into eternity, he wants us to remember this special little church. There's something special that he says for the rest of the world to know. Like that one time, uh, that woman, she wanted, she wanted Jesus to do a, a healing, and Jesus said, kind of pushed her aside, and then she says something, woman, you've got great faith, and for the rest of the world, or you know, something that and the rest of the world is going to know about your faith. He brings about this little church for us, for the rest of the world to know, and the rest of church history to remember their faith. Ruth. Ruth, in the Old Testament, during the horrible, sinful time of the judges, the old, of Israel during the Old Testament, when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, drag was okay, you, what you want to do is like, hey, sleeping around is okay, you're a Christian is okay, you're a Muslim is okay, hey, we're all okay, do whatever you want, hey, we're okay. During that time, when there was no king, God, for the rest of our history, wants us to remember the faith of a, 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 a foreigner, a simple woman. And he draws out this woman, pulls her out of her land, and to recognize to the world her faith in the living God. The Lord loves our faith in him. And Ruth would say to Naomi, far be it from you that I go away from you. Your people will be my people. Your culture will be my people. Your God will be my God. And then God brings her through affliction of Naomi 
when she lost her husband and her two sons, through that affliction and through that timing, pulls her out of her homeland into Moab, an uncircumcised people, not part of the covenant people, pulls her out to show the world, to show Israel a testimony of great faith in the living God, to demonstrate this is a woman of faith. We, you can learn from her. We can learn from this foreign woman, not of the covenant, but now part of the covenant, through faith into that covenant. Let us recognize and learn from her. And then when he pulled Ruth out to bless her and to honor her for her faith, she, the Lord leads her to Boaz to bless her. And then Boaz notices her great, great commitment to Naomi, taking care of an, her mother-in-law, serving, self-sacrificing her time to take care of her older foreign mother-in-law. Boaz comes alongside and says, I want, just hang out with me and hang out and glean and harvest and pick the sheaves for my land and I will bless you. And this is what she does that is, is, is amazing. She then bows down and says, who am I? Who am I that you should bestow such blessings upon me? And here again, not only is God recognizing her faith in the living God, she, he is showing us the humility that we need to have, pulled out of darkness into light, to have that humility. Who am I, God, that you bestowed such love, such grace, that you sent Jesus to die for me, and you pulled us out of darkness into light, poured the power of God onto my life, and wrote my name on the living book of life for all eternity, that you want to spend time with me. And he shows us this woman of faith to us to learn from. That we may have faith in him and have the proper perspective and the proper attitude to the living God of perpetual humility. Who am I, O oh God? Who am I that you should bless me? Yes, I am now called your son and your daughter. But to continue that proper perspective that proper attitude of heart. So then God, if we come back to Thessalonians, God is telling the Thessalonians, hey, thumbs up with your faith. And here we are, Manteca. Can anything good come from Manteca? And as God recognizes the faith of the Thessalonians and in the church in Philadelphia in Revelation and, and, and Ruth. It was the foreigners to Israel God had to say, you want, you're the people of the faith? It's the foreigners who have the faith. They believe. And God wants us to know and for you to know he, he sees your faith, he loves your faith, thumbs up and keep persevering on. And Thessalonians, this little book, has got about three major themes. The first is, hey, even though he had a small beginning, man, you had such a steroidal power in the spirit. Boom, you made an impact on the scene. Where'd you come from? Keep it up. Keep your faith in the Lord. In fact, it's spreading. Keep it up. Two, maintain your discipleship and your holiness. 
especially in the areas of sexuality. Watch out for sin and the perversion and corruption of sin. Watch out. And then the final part of 1 Thessalonians is Jesus is coming soon. Don't be deceived. They weren't sure about, they were sure about the second coming of Jesus, but they weren't sure how the rapture was going to happen. They were unsure, hey, some of the people who have died, they're going to miss it. So be, con be consumed with the return of Jesus Christ. And then know about the rapture of the church, but then also know, hey, you're not going to be part of the wrath. The wrath is coming and the return of Jesus Christ. Be aware of the rapture and be consumed with the second coming of Jesus. So Paul, at verse 1, he says, Paul, we know he is the apostle Paul that God pulled out from deep, deep religious Judaism, filled him with the Holy Spirit, came to salvation to knowing Jesus. And if you want to know about Paul, read the book of Acts. And in the second journey, he brings along a guy named Silvanus or Silas and Timothy. And then he writes this, he says, To the special little church, the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to spend a couple more minutes on grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see this verse a lot in the epistles. And again, if there's one thing that God wants us to know is there's grace and peace available. Now, Geico Insurance wants you to know what? Oh, come on. Geico wants you to know you can save 15% or more in car insurance in 15 minutes or less, right? Right? We're all Americans. We all know this. We can all say this. And from all the silly Geico commercials we've seen, the one thing they hammer us to know is, hey, in 15 minutes or less, they can save you up to 15% or more in car insurance, right? Right? Hello? Hello? Tune in Tokyo? All right. Uh, they keep hammering that. It's the one thing that, you know, they got the pig commercials and they got the silly commercials and they've got uh, the Gecko commercials and all this. And uh, Cecily can tell you her favorite one. And, but the one thing they want to do is remind you of this one truth. You can save money with them. Other people we don't know. And, and God is telling us grace. Now, another way of saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ is, hey, I love you. I love you. And love is demonstrated in action. And here's God's perpetual action to us. He wants us to know he's going to be empowering us with his grace, unconditional acceptance, and the empowerment to do the Christian life. And that peace that comes from Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not from yoga. Not from self-meditation. Not from Buddhism. Those are peace but they're a counterfeit to the great peace that comes from the living God of Jesus Christ. You want peace? It's not believing in yourself. It's not closing yourself off. There is a counterfeit peace. I'm not saying you can't get peace. Just sitting down and being quiet is smart. Having a teenager to do that, impossible. Or you tell him, I want you to tell him a story, he'll be on his phone. There's peace. 
There is a peace in meditation. There is a peace in yoga. There is a peace in Buddhism. It's a lower counterfeit. And I say that with authority from the scriptures because Jesus said, not the peace you can dwell within you, not just settling down and meditate. Jesus said what? My peace I give to you. And who is Jesus? The true and living God. The one who can calm the storm just like that. My peace. He owns it. My, my peace I give to you. So God is showing he loves you and me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And here, here's an action. Here's my grace for you again for today. Even when you blow it or even when you do great. Here's my grace to do that Christian life, to love your husband, to forgive. And here's my peace. That throughout the craziness of your life, I know about your in-laws, I know about hip replacements, I know about football costs, I know about car costs, I know about how your insurance premiums are going up every year, thank you, you can keep your premium and keep your doctor. I know that. I know that you can't take your eyes off a whole Kavanaugh trial. I know that. And that you think the other side's always winning. I know that. And despite all that, you have my peace today. You have my peace. And so God is always telling you, as we tell our kids, I love you. Prove it, Dad. Okay. And we, we demonstrate every day our love. And God says, I love you. Okay, God, prove it. Here's my grace. Here's my peace. Spend time with me, and you can receive it. So God wants us just, again, always know grace and peace from him. Christian, are you experiencing his grace right now? Christian, are you experiencing his peace right now? If you don't know Jesus Christ in this room, God promises a peace to you. And it doesn't come from having a great night affair or having the best husband or the best wife or the best girlfriend or boyfriend or the best sinful night or having all the money in the world. True peace comes from Jesus Christ and it's available to you. But you need to repent and come to God and surrender your life. And Christian, if you don't have that grace, you don't have that peace, you know what you need to do. Stop. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you. Stop. The Kavanaugh trials can wait. It can wait. It can wait. We got our responsibilities. But if you're missing out and your mind is in a whirlwind and you're cursing and cussing and flying off a handle or you're missing out the grace like what happened stop come back to your Bethel as Jacob did and be still wait on the Lord again be in the word be praying come back to your devotion life come back to praying come back to praying with your husband come back to be praying for your kids and when you sit still you'll receive it he promises it to us And then, verse 2, moving on, he says, we give thanks to you. And so now Paul, 
he's, you know, he birthed this church. He's, he's thinking about them. And he's, he says he's thinking about them. I always, I, got, I love you and I'm thinking about you. And I'm always mentioning of you in my prayers. And he demonstrates a mature Christian is constantly praying for others and other churches. Other churches. It's okay to pray for other churches. And he says, I remember your work and your labor of love, and you're just a dynamite Christian, labor of love, patience of hope. And inside of God our Father. And then verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And the, here's a, one of the words that Satan loves to spin around and take our eyes off to Jesus Christ on the cross and onto secondary issues. Are you once saved, always saved? For those, you know, are you always saved or can you lose your salvation? If you're abiding in Jesus Christ, you're spending time with him, you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. No, your election by God. God wants you to know he loves you and you're his kid. Satan wants us to be confused. God never is not the author of confusion. He wants us to know he loves us and we're his children. No, you are loved and you're his son, you're his daughter. Verse 5, 4. Now this is where it's even more special. For our gospel, now remember, he's writing to the Thessalonian church, which he went on a second missionary journey. So he's thinking about them, to the Mantecans, I visited you, I birthed you. Now he's thinking about the church, and he's thinking about how he ministered there with Silas and Timothy for a few weeks. And, he's, and, he's, and he says, now remember when we were there with you? For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Remember that when we were there for three weeks, guys? We were there, and we were there for three weeks, and I was teaching and teaching. And I, we shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And then it wasn't just in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. And remember, and as you guys remember, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, I love, this might throw you off. Why does he say our gospel? Like, does he have a corner on the market? Is there a separate gospel to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to our gospel? He is owning the work of Jesus Christ. He is owning what Jesus did for himself. This is like his personal testimony. Ever see a little kid? That's my dad. That is my dad. I own him. I am so proud of him. That's my dad. And Paul was saying, our gospel, our gospel. Paul has such a transforming life that he had such a, a broadside impact with Jesus Christ it, it has worked him silly, and he loved it, and he owned it, and this was who he was. Who Paul was was the message of Jesus Christ and the cross, and he loved it, and he's presenting, I give you my gospel to you. Now, 
if you start studying the Bible, you start, you, we call it inductive Bible study, you read a passage and you just start ask questions. You just like take it apart. If you want to learn how a car works, you take it apart and you put it back together. And if you want to learn how a computer works, well, it's leprechauns. But if you go back to cars, no, if you want to know how a computer works, you take it apart. You know, the hard drive, and of course now it's everything's now down, you know, downloaded, but you take it apart and put it out together, you figure out how it works. And as you study the scriptures, it's okay to take a verse and verses and just take it apart and like, why is this here? Why is this here? What does this mean? Why is this here? What does this mean? Ask as many questions as you can about the verse. And then try to answer them as much as you can. And you'll find the scriptures become more real and more alive. And, and, and you start digging in and right here. And one way to say is, why does right here? Why does he say not in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit? What's the difference with just the word only right here? Can you give the gospel in just the word? But why does Paul bring up this other two things, much assurance in the Holy Spirit? So there must be, when he brings up these other two elements, either for emphasis or there's a distinction going on. And he's trying to make a point to you Thessalonians. Paul, before he came to being born again, before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a devout Jew. He studied the Torah, the Tanakh, the Law, the Writing, and the Prophets. He knew the Old Testament through and through. He studied it like a law professor. And a law student. He knew it. He could recite it to you. And he would teach on it. And he would hear teachers teach on it. But it was only in the recite, recitation of, these, of the subject matter. It was just subject matter. Of course, it talked about God, but it was just subject matter. But when he had that conversion and met Jesus Christ and empowered and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something triggered. It was his faith and the Holy Spirit mixed with his subject of God. Boom! The power of Christian life, the power of the living God changed him. So not only did it just become a subject matter, but now it became the Word of God, the living Word of God dwelling in him, coming from the living God through him. And so then when he presented it to you, it wasn't just subject matter like hey, those, those, those TEDx infomercials or a juicer or whatever information subject matter. It was subject matter about God infused with the Holy Spirit and faith. So here he was, a Jew, he knew all the subject matter, but he was still dead in his sin, as prideful as can be, separated from God, lost in his sin. How many Catholics go to Mass, hear a homily, hear a blessing, hear a few verses, go on their knees, do the cross prayer and leave and think there's got to be more to this well what's next i don't know let's watch a football game crack a beer how many christians go to church every sunday come in 
open a hymnal, say this song, say the Apostles' Creed, hear a message, and go home. How many people go to faith-based places and hear a motivational speech on how we can love the earth and love ourselves? That's just the word. Even people who give teach the Bible is just subject matter of God. It's just subject matter of God, but it's not changing them. It's just what you do. This, if you just go to church and hear the subject matter about the Bible or how to be a good person or a homily or recite the Apostles' Creed and it's not changing you, you know what we call that? Tradition. Religion. And Paul was saying, I did that. I did that. But when I had Jesus Christ in my life and power of the Holy Spirit, I now have the living God work, working in me, through me, changing me. And now I can love God and love others. And so when I presented to you the gospel, it just wasn't just another subject matter. It was, what was what? It was with power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. Some, if you have the NESB or some translations, deep conviction. And that word power is that Greek word dunamai. Now some say, you know, it's where the word dynamite came from it, but they got dynamite from dunamite because dynamite's an explosive power, but that's not what dunamite originally meant. It's a powerful influence upon your life that's life-changing, impacting. But it's not like, and some people think, well, I need the power of dynamite God in my life, and if I don't, I'm a bad Christian. No. It was such an empowering life, it changed them from the inside out that it was coming out of their lives, the testimony of Jesus Christ and changing and loving others. It was influencing them, whether they aware of it or not. It was changing them, and they were becoming more like Christ. So the gospel only, did not was just subject matter, but it came upon him through power. And it, such power that Paul would say, I don't want money to teach the gospel. It's the love of Christ that compels me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I love Jesus so much, and his love for me is so powerful. I'm doing this because of his love. And it was his motivating. It was God's love through him, pushing him to love others and share the Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, when you hear the subject matter, it was our gospel, and it was the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Deep conviction. And then he says, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So not only when I was there, I shared the gospel with power of the Holy Spirit and influence, keep deep conviction, but our behavior behind the scenes backed up what we were teaching. As you know what kind of men we were. So while we are teaching, you heard the gospel, you hear the Bible, you hear about end times and loving others and service. And afterwards, we were living it. We were forgiving others, serving others, abiding in Christ, working hard, doing what we needed to do. So our actions reflected what we are teaching. My dad would say, I'd say, Dad, how come you tell me this, but uh, I see you doing this? And my, my dad would wonderfully, thought-provokingly say, Son, do as I say, don't do as I do. 
Son, I don't want to admit I'm a hypocrite. And if you say that, you're a hypocrite. You tell your son to clean your room, and your room is a mess. So Paul is saying here, I am telling you to love God and love others, and then you also know my life. You know our lives backed. Husband, wife, father, mother. We are the leaders of the Christian life in our home. We bring them to church. We tell them to follow Jesus. We read our prayers. We say the prayers before our meal. But we are deceiving ourselves, hear me out, we are deceiving ourselves to think our children will pick up the cross and the mantle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are deceiving ourselves if we're not living it at home and at work and how we're doing it. We are deceiving ourselves and do not think they will follow Jesus Christ if we're not doing it ourselves, leading them than they. They will not follow Jesus Christ because in reality we are not following Jesus Christ at home. As Paul said, as you know what kind of men we were among you for our sake. And even in the little things, even in the little things that are watching us, is honesty really important? Is honesty really important? Even in the little things. It says here, Dad, that 10 and under children eat free. I'm 11. Ah, you're, you're 10 today. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It says we shouldn't do these things. They're picking up. Oh, okay, I get you. So it's okay to have integrity when I'm supposed to have integrity with you, but when it comes to money, it's different, right? Tax time's coming up in February. They know. We got a good tax return. Really nailed it to Uncle Sam. Ah, I, I went I, at work. I got off at 2 o'clock. <laughs> I left at 1.39. Hopefully we're not that, but other things. Man, that mom of yours, golly. Cancel. Oh, man, why did she do that? Oh, I'm supposed to honor my mom, and yet dad doesn't honor mom. Hmm. You know, kids, be careful what you look at. Hey, dad. Um, ooh, she's pretty. What are you what, what internet site are you watching, Dad? Uh, click. Uh, son, don't you have math to do? And we have our weaknesses and strengths. But we are deceiving ourselves as parents to think our children are going to follow as they go off on their own. Why aren't you going to church, honey? Well, because you're watching football nine hours a day, and you know, I was just following your example, Dad. We can't expect them to read the Bible and pray if we're not leading the example more than them. So we need to set the example and the tone. If we're not setting the tone, if we're not leading the example, they won't learn from us. They will learn. It's not necessary. What's really necessary? Son, go to get good grades so you can go to college and get a good job so you can retire and die with a lot of money that you can't take with you to heaven. Because your retirement... Your retirement is the most, no, 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 my recliner and my soda is the most, no. 8K television is, no. Um, what are they picking up is the most important thing. Do your grades, you can get a good job. 
What are we hammering into them? That's the most important thing. What are we hammering into them? That's the most important thing. It does have a cost serving Jesus Christ. It is a cost. Our kids need us at home, modeling them and loving them. The internet is doing such a wonderful job training them how not to be a Christian. Daycare is doing such a wonderful job training our children how not to follow Jesus Christ. And what do they do at daycare? Are those eight-year-old, eight, those minimum wage workers loving in our kids, teaching about Jesus? No, they're thrown in front of the TV and movies. It's a sacrifice. And this is between you and the Holy Spirit, and we all have our different convictions. I'm just saying, in this day and age, it's a sacrifice. But our children, we can't expect our children to follow Jesus Christ if we're not backing up, like Paul said. You, you saw us how we worked hard, had integrity. And so you know you believed us because we backed it up. So Paul was saying, you know what kind of men we are. Yeah, we do, Paul. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Verse 6, and not only in that, hey Thessalonians, you became followers of us and of the Lord, have received the word and much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonian and Cain who believe. Now, back in Acts chapter 17, Paul had such an impact of the Holy Spirit teaching Jesus that people were coming to know Christ. Satan had Jews and other bad men caused trouble so much trouble that they went to a guy named jason house and like pretty much rioted around their house and it was causing some enough trouble that paul and they had to split be safe and they went to berea but the believers and the people of jason were receiving the wrath of satan and the, and the world for the gospel jesus said they hate me because I tell them the truth, that their deeds are evil. And Jesus said, if they hated the master of the house, how much more will they hate the servants? And there is, a, there is a cost. If you stand up for Jesus Christ, there's one way to get to heaven. Sin is wrong. And Jesus died on the cross. You're a sinner. No, you're not a good person. You're a sinner. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins. No, no, we need to do the right thing at work. I don't care if we're all in agreement. We've got to do the right thing. The world will hate us. And they noticed, and they noticed Paul living the life for Jesus, feeling the, the brunt of the world and Satan, yet they still stuck it out, and they followed suit. Being a believer, we will receive affliction. And I hate that, because I love comfort. But through affliction, something beautiful happens. If you turn to Psalm 27. As you know, in verse 1, it's a, a very famous psalm, a powerful psalm. David wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh and my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though everyone was against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I will be confident. But then, go to verse 7. And he writes, But don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Sometimes when we're standing up for Jesus or living the Christian life or think life isn't fair and the world is getting it on with praise, money, and riches and we're trying to do the right thing and it feels like we're taking a step back or we're receiving some sort of verbal you know, oppression. And when we're being stripped away from friends and society, and sometimes we feel alone. In fact, we are alone. And sometimes in those areas when we're alone and God takes those things away from us that we thought were important and, he, and he's putting, as First Peter says, our faith is going through the fire and producing the, the genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, is that as he strips it aside, we find our strength. We find out oftentimes when we're alone, we're much stronger than we've ever been before. Why? It's because we see that the Lord is with us. We're, we're sensing his presence more. We need him more. We're on our knees more. We're praying more. We're like, Lord, Lord I'm seeking your face. Dear God, are you there? But as it were in our, in our kind of trials and, and our alone times, it's that then it, the, it sifted away and we find out our strength. And just like Daniel in, in the lion's den of his affliction, the Lord was with him, and he knew how strong he was. Only through the affliction did he realize how strong he really was. It's in an affliction of times, as being Christians, we find out our true strength. And those trials of being a Christian, we find out our true strength and where our strength comes to prepare us for that moment and for the next trial to come. As David said, when the lion and the bear God gave me the strength for that first trial. I was alone, and but he gave me the strength because he fought that bear for me. And then that lion came for me, but he was my strength. Check that out. He is no match. Yet I'm alone, but that Goliath is going down. And it's not because of me. It's because sword and spirit come against me, and I come against you in the name of the Lord. He is my strength. Just like verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When Nehemiah was building the wall and Sanballat and all these guys were mocking him, he said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're being afflicted and we're doing the work of God and they're mocking us and putting us down and trying to attack us and steal things when we're not looking and things are messing up. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We're beaten down, but we're persevering. And as we persevere, we're sensing his, his power. And through the weakness of affliction, we find our true strength. And Paul is saying, you knew that to the Thessalonians, back to Thessalonians. You received the afflictions.
And then with the afflictions, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became examples to all. And so, yes, sometimes we, we receive the afflictions, but one of the benefits, and we find out, again, we see our true strength through those trials, there again, there's something the world cannot counterfeit or be superior in, and that's the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right here. It says right here, with joy in the Holy Spirit. That word with, and if you ever can learn Greek, if you can, if you can't, that's all right. The word with, this preposition with, this one's meta, and there's different forms of meta. There's meta tau, after these things, that's the accusative, but this one is with a genitive. Big fancy talk meaning this with in the Greek has in the accompaniment, in the association with, in the sphere with, in the presence of. So as a Christian, and as you're walking with Jesus, going through afflictions, in this sphere, you are now in the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit. And with that accompaniment is the joy from the Holy Spirit. The world give, promises happiness. It cannot give you joy. Jesus said, my joy I give to you. Now, in Genesis 1, we know the first verse, right? A lot of us know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and the Spirit brooded over the waters, right? And the word brooded is like a hand overing his head. Well, how big is the earth? At least this big. And all the waters, the Holy Spirit was brooding, hovering over all the waters of the earth, brooding all over the earth. And we have a hen, right? And you see a hen, and it sits down on this little baby egg, right? And it could sit right on it and give it the warmth and the need. And I'm not going to demonstrate to you how a hen, maybe later on we'll have more lack of sleep, but right now for dignity's sake, and of course you probably would put me on YouTube and I won't make any money. I will not demonstrate how a hen sits on an egg, but the hen is much larger than the egg, but the egg is getting all the warmth and love and nurturing it needs because the hen is much larger. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is much larger than the earth, and he's brooding over this whole earth in the creation of God. I mean, how big is the Holy Spirit? He's brooding over it. And in that sphere, the Holy Spirit is the realm of the Trinity. And in the realm of the Trinity is a cross love of the Father and the Son. It's just a one giant sphere of deep love, sacrificial love, cross-giving, blood-dripping love. And that's just one big orb of love. And if you're in Christ, you're with the Holy Spirit, you're in that orb, that sphere, that brood of joy, overwhelming, holy joy. And that is a promise, and not just a promise, it's a reality. Like, gold is valuable. Yes, it's shiny and pretty, but it's got value just because it's got value. And there is joy, holy joy, 
holy joy that comes from him that we get through, often through affliction, often through hard times, and just being with Jesus. We can't explain it. The world, the world doesn't understand it because it's not in Christ. The world understands its joy and temporary happiness and candy and sex and lots of money and all that. That's their happiness. That's their joy. And even Bible says their grandchildren and having a lot of food at the dinner table's joy, which is good. But that doesn't compare to the joy that Jesus gives. Having grandchildren is wonderful. And, and having children is a great joy. It is a, a privilege. But that doesn't compare to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and being with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying, you know that. Remember that. We have that. And not only that, with that, what happened to them? This little church of Manteca, this little church in Thessalonica, because they believed in the gospel, they saw the truthfulness of Paul, Savarnas, and Timothy, they believed on it, they were walking with Jesus, they were receiving affliction, they were choosing what to do. Make more money, do ministry, serve others. I see that homeless person, or I see, I see someone in church, I can buy another Starbucks, or I can do this thing, or I can, they don't, I'll give them this. They're sacrificing for the church. They're serving others. They're making a cost. But with that, that church was alive in action, and their faith, their example was going throughout all of Europe. The little church of Thessalonica was known, and Paul's saying, you guys rock, because you're doing it. You're doing it. Keep it up. You're doing it. And even as we don't realize it, Pat Carter, we all know he didn't know it. Man, he was making such an example of Jesus Christ, right? Because he was praying for others, he was serving, he was sharing Christ, and he, he was, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just this old army dude who can beat you up with his mustache. But other than that, you know, I'm just, I'm nobody. But to all of us, man, that's awesome. I want to be like that. I want to pray like that. He was doing it, and he was an example to all of us, and he wasn't aware, but he, and he was just, to him and to the world, he was nobody, but to us, he was living the walk of Jesus Christ, and he was an example to us all. And that was the Thessalonian church, and that's the power. When we're doing it, even when we're alone, and we're walking the walk of Christ, and we're doing the sacrifices, we don't realize that we're a fluorescent lamp for Christ. And they see us in the night. They see us in the night. So keep going on. We're an example to the neighbors, to our non-believing relatives. We're an example to them, and it's going out. And they see that. They see it. Trust me. They see it. They see it. And Paul was saying, rock on. So closing up, I'm just going to finish and close up to verses 9 and 10. He says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. How? Again, you guys turn to God from idols 
a born-again experience chasing the world and materialism to serve the living God and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 but know this that in the last days perilous times will come same author Paul wrote to Timothy same author he was prophesying for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy unloving unforgiving slanderers without self-control brutal despisers of good traitors headstrong haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having a form of godliness denying its power Jesus said it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah in the end times. Wars and pestilences. 800 people died at least right now in Indonesia. Earthquake happened. Indonesia. It's on Drudge Report. There's just like 80 people injured with a huge, huge rain going on in Japan. Not to mention Florence. Hurricane Florence in America. End times. Paul said not only when Jesus said not only about the cataclysmic times are going to happen, this is the culture of the world. And I got this. This is June 1st, 2018 from Similar Web, the top 10 websites of, of America. Of all the websites usage of America, these are the top 10. What do you think number one is? Google. Two, Facebook. Social media. Three, YouTube entertainment for Amazon commercialism five Yahoo cheap news a little bit better than TMZ not by much you can graduate from high school but you may not mature from high school number six so these are the top ten news sites of all that's going on right now, all going on, top 10. Google, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Yahoo, number six. So right below yahoo.com, pornhub.com, sex site, adult site, sin site. Number seven, so beloved, Google, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Yahoo, Pornhub, X and xx.com, porn site. Number eight, eBay, commercialism, step above garage sales. Number nine, Twitter, social media. Number 10, number 11 is Wikipedia. Number 10, xvideos.com, pornography. So in the top 10, and we don't see we don't, what other news sites? Drudge is not on here. Our news sites are on here. XM, you know, radio isn't there. I love our heart. Radio is not on here. Of the top 10 of America, of America, our beloved America, we've got social media, all about ourselves, all about entertainment, all about shopping, all about cheap news, high school news, and pornography. In the last days, lovers of themselves, entertainment, social media, 
lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. This is where we're at. This is our America. Thank you, Childish Cabino, whatever your name is. This is our America. Paul said to the Thessalonians, you turned from this to the living God. You turned. And with that, and a great theme of Thessalonians is the return of Jesus Christ. Every chapter, he mentions the return of Jesus Christ. We at Calvary Chapel believe in the pre-tribulation. What does that mean? Some of us know, some of us don't know. And if you disagree with it, wonderful, great, God bless you. You're still going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Let's not argue. We can have fun, but not worth the fight about. That means that the book of Revelation talks about God is going to pour his wrath upon the earth. There's a picture of it with Noah. Heard of Noah and the flood? God poured his judgment on the world, but he saved Noah and his three sons and daughters, and the animals put him on the ark. The world, all the people and the animals were destroyed, including unicorns, I'm sorry. They were all destroyed in the wrath of God, except those who had faith. Noah, his wife, and sons and daughters, sons and their wives. The world experienced the wrath. Everything was destroyed. Why? Because it says every thought was continually on evil. Sodom and Gomorrah received the wrath of God. There's only a couple people, Lot and a couple of his daughters, not even his daughters, but Lot pretty much. There's only one righteous person in the city of Sodom. God pulled him out before fire and brimstone came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is probably, the city is probably under the Dead Sea or around the Dead Sea. God pours his wrath on non-believers. But now he's waiting for us to come to know him through Jesus. And there is a point, we don't know exactly when, gives us clues, but we know exactly when. He's going to pour his wrath, his judgment on the world. A literal God cataclysms on earth. You can read that in, in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 in the last book of the Bible. Prior to the great wrath of God destroying man for the most part, he is going to pluck out his believers, those who have faith in him. As Noah had faith in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, as Lot believed in the, the, the judgment, God pulled Lot out. God will pull out his believers, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, not in church, not in mom and dad or grandma's religion, not in mom and dad's Bible, not in a rosary, not a picture of St. Michael on your house, not a picture of the Pope or whatever person you put on your wall. Those who put their faith not in their retirement or the 401k or whatever candidate, those who put their trust and life in the person of Jesus Christ, he will snatch them up. I was five years old, coming out of a little TG and O I, like a Dollar General, walking out of this door, and I was going from the sidewalk into the parking lot, and all of a sudden, I was snatched back. Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing that, Dad? Dad, God, God, God. car came across. Oh, 
Thanks, Dad. I'll allow it this time. He pulled me out for the wrath of the car. God, before he poured on earth, he is going to snatch. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17. He's going to pull the church out, his believers out. Then the wrath will come for about seven years. And after the seven years, Jesus Christ himself like he came the first time in Bethlehem, he will come again, literally, come back to earth to rule and reign and clean up. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the prophesying we at Calvary Chapel, we believe the literal Bible. It is literal. We believe in past prophecies. We believe in future prophecies. That's what we teach. That's what we believe. We share that with you. There is a judgment to come. Jesus Christ will return. Prior to that, the rapture, we're pulled away. We're saying, if, if you're in Jesus Christ. But part of the power of the Thessalonians is they were expecting the return of Jesus Christ. They were expecting his imminent return. Paul was saying, hey, he's coming, he's coming. Get your life in order, he's coming. And they believed in it, and there was an urgency in their faith because they were believing his return. And he's still coming, and now we're so much more closer. And in fact, we have this proof right here He's much more closer than we realize. Christmas is, is coming because Halloween decorations are up. We have clues Christmas are coming. Costco tells us this. Christmas is coming. It's, it's coming. He's coming. We have signs right now. He is coming. Lovers of pleasures. Lovers of money. But you Thessalonians, you believed in us, and he's coming back. So to us Christians right now, be like Ruth. He loves our faith. He loves our faith. Be that example at home and at work, even when no one's watching. And the word is empowered by the Holy Spirit when we believe. And he is returning, like it or not. Let us not forget, let us not get distracted of his return. Let us not get distracted. What does Satan want us to do? Lull us to sleep and get distracted. Jesus Christ is coming soon. He is coming soon. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will fall to peace. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Let's pray. And as I pray, uh, Helen's going to come up with a song, and then Helen will dismiss us. And as I'm praying, for those, you know, who haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you've wrestled with repenting of your sins, realizing you're a sinner, you come to God through Jesus Christ, through the cross. If you've wrestled with that and you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, this is the time. Repent. I'm a sinner. I receive your love, Jesus. I, you, I place my sins on you on the cross and I, I, I get your righteousness. Forgive me and come into me. 
and you'll be born again and you'll enter your life and you'll be brand new by the Spirit and have a new relationship with God even if it didn't exist and then you'll receive the grace and peace and joy. If that's you, you can of course confess them privately and you can come after church, after service, come to the leaders and you can pray with one of the leaders there. Now, Father, as we hear your word, and you gave us the example of this little church in Thessalonians, but they were alive, and you love them. Jesus, help us, help us to keep making those, those choices. Help us. And when we blow it, even if we lied at work, help us to make right. If we need to forgive someone, help us to do what's right. You, you, you don't kick us on the curb when we mess up. You, you spank us and love us. But we, we want to be example to others because they need Christ. And we need that testimony to others. And if there's someone here who's just going through a hard time, I encourage you, be in prayer, come back to prayer, keep worshiping, and the joy Jesus will give you his joy. He will give you his peace, and he'll give you his grace. But you've got to wait on the Lord. And so, Father, help us to wait on you. We got our responsibilities to do, Lord. Help us to put you first. And Lord, please, I get distracted with the silly trial. and It's not silly, but you know, it's not the most important thing. Because the world is going to hell. It eventually is. But, our faith shouldn't, and you are coming again. And this helps us with the urgency to believe and to share. Put, Lord, give us the faith to make those phone calls, and just to love and be reminded you're coming again. As it gets darker, your light will come, and you will rule and reign, and we will see your glory. Because you you, Jesus, are the living God. You are the resurrected one. You are the Lamb of God. You are the light in our salvation. You are glorious more than the sun. You are our warrior, our redeemer, our alpha and omega. You are everything, and we're going to see that. And we put our hope in that, in you. Help us, Lord, in America keep our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.